0: Thank you, John. We have enjoyed uh, the unity of the three churches. I'm at Community West Church, and there's uh, St. Giles, and also here at Christ. And I think the three pastors, and I think increasingly the congregations, enjoy a unity. And we expressed that during Lent uh, and Holy Week when we had services together. And this is another expression. So our sermon series today is actually one that came from your pastor's mouth, spiritual training, uh, his idea, and the other two churches were willing to come around it with him. So I like this idea of spiritual training. And one of the things when we think about training, I wonder what you think about most it's probably something related to physical training or physical fitness. You know, I was a football player at Freeman High School and we had um, uh, two a days. It was sort of, football has training camp, you might call it, and it's all about the physical. You uh, go in the morning and you go later in the afternoon and you have to do wind sprints and you have to learn blocking and tackling and that sort of thing. And some of us have gotten into um, a variety of ways of maybe training our bodies. Uh, Not everybody does the same thing, but some of you maybe go to the gym or you work out or you get in your steps or you walk on the treadmill or maybe you work in your garden or you work in the yard or maybe you just stretch in the morning. But everybody has this idea about their bodies, if I don't use it, I'll lose it. And so we enter into a type of training physically. So this is the way we think of training. We think of it as physical training. But I wonder um, if we might think about training uh, on the spiritual level. You know, there's a quote that I love, and it's from Eugene Peterson. And he speaks about basically how our lives lose their shape. Now, we know how our bodies lose their shape, and we know our bodies will grow weak and flabby if we don't exercise them, but I wonder if you ever think about the same in your spiritual life. See, our lives lose their shape. Peterson writes this in his book, Working the Angles. We live in a culture where nothing stops. We're on a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week treadmill. We have more time-saving devices than ever, but never seem to have any time. Via email and cell phones and airplanes, we can know and keep up with more people than ever before, but we often feel taxed to the very limit as we squeeze in one more lunch appointment or coffee with a friend. So we're talking about this idea of training and spiritual training. And I wonder sometimes uh, if privately we aren't a little disappointed with Christianity. Because publicly, we know that we have uh, every promise in Jesus Christ. But privately, we wonder, why is Christianity working better for me? You know, why am I chronically struggling with some of the same old sins? Why am I not growing more? I think some of us wonder about those things. And so when it comes to spiritual training, I think a lot of us are maybe reluctant to grab onto that idea that we might do something to train in the Christian life. And I think we're reluctant properly because we're really afraid to have a faith that involves earning. So we know that we're saved by grace through faith, right? And so it's not about earning. It's not about earning. And we want to stay as far away from earning our salvation as we can. But I wonder if there's something that we ought to embrace about efforts. So what we're talking about in this spiritual training series is not trying hard, but training well. Now, our theme verse is from 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 to 8, and I think Kevin may have shared it with you, but I'll give you a piece of it. So the idea is the Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy, and he's warning against false a false gospel, and he says, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly, verse 8, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. So do you see what Paul is doing? He's saying, yes, I know that you get involved in all these physical training things, but I am telling you there is another type of training that's more important, and it's training in godliness. It's training in Christ's likeness. So this is the thing, uh, when we go into the gym, we see the treadmill and we see the elliptical machine and we you know, maybe pump the weights. But have we ever thought that uh, the disciplines of the Christian life have been given to us similarly to make us strong? So what are they? It's Bible study and it's corporate worship and it's prayer and it's fellowship and it's fasting, simplicity and the like. So this is what this series is about. Again, it's not trying hard, but it's training well in the Christian life. And so I hope you'll take that journey with me. So today, what we wanna do is look at Jesus' commitment to this discipline of solitude and silence. And I'd love for you to read with me Mark chapter one, verses 29 to 39, and we'll read it from the NIV. And some of you know that Mark is a gospel that's very fast-paced, and he just wants to report the action. And here we are in chapter 1, and there's you know, no baby Jesus, no babe in a manger, and we're in the thick of Jesus' ministry. Mark wants us to know uh, who Jesus is. And so here's what he says, Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. Hear the word of the Lord. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with the fever and immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus said, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So Mark's Jesus is the king of a new kingdom, the blind sea and the lame walk. And Mark lands us in a very busy couple of days in Jesus' life. And what he wants us to see uh, is the intention and the pattern by which Jesus arranged his life. So in verse 29, Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law and This must have been very emotional for Jesus, a lot of outlay because Simon was like family to Jesus. Then it says that evening after sunset. So now it's the same day, but it's the evening. The people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possession possessed. And it says the whole town gathered at the door. So the whole setup is to give you this idea that uh, Jesus has an overwhelming situation. Uh, This is the life you live, where nothing stops, where the demand outpaces the supply, it seems. And so here Jesus is, and the whole town has gathered at his door for healing and exercising of demons. So again, it's nonstop activity, like Peterson said, And so the point is, when we're faced with this non-stop activity, our lives can lose their proper form. They can lose their shape. So how does Jesus respond to this demanding schedule? So this part is so interesting. I just want you to see, in verse 33, it says, the whole town gathered at the door. And then verse 34, and Jesus healed, what's the word? Many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. So the the setup here is that the whole town comes to his door. He's got an overwhelming need and all of the people who've come are um, making reasonable requests. They need healing. They need exercising of demons. And so Jesus is healing and he's exercising and he's healing and he's exercising. But then toward the end of the evening, at some point, he has to look somebody in the eye and say, I'm done for the evening. And I think there's a part of Jesus that really shows us humanity here. Um, He has to look somebody in the eye eye and say, I've got to go home and rest. This is all I can do do today. And maybe this would be permission giving to you as you're thinking about how to order your own life, how to uh, arrange it, how to uh, give it shape. Jesus was doing a very vital ministry, but at at a point, he got to a point where he had to say, I'm done. I've done enough for today. And, you know, this is the thing about the disciplines. The discipline of the Sabbath is um, we see in Genesis 3 that God stopped midstream. He hadn't created all varieties of birds and animals and fish that he could create. And here Jesus is stopping midstream, he hasn't healed everybody, that's what the text leads us to understand. And so here we are, we're trying to give our lives their shape, and Jesus is in one sense permission given, giving to say, we have to stop sometimes midstream. So then what did Jesus do? Uh, Well, if you and I were in this situation, we probably might have thought, well, Jesus goes and he sleeps in. You know, he's had an exhausting day. Um, He would have every reason to roll over and press the snooze uh, the next morning. And it wouldn't have changed anything in the relationship with his heavenly father. Um, After all, what was Jesus' relationship with the father? In his baptism, the father said, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. So there's nothing that Jesus could do um, that would make his father love him more. And that's the same for you and me. Mm -hmm. But still, what did Jesus do? So verse 35, maybe this is a little unexpected. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So we're getting a feel for things here. What is Jesus' intention with his life? He did all this demanding ministry, then he stopped, then he rested, then the next morning he prioritized solitude, he prioritized prayer and listening with his heavenly father. So here it is. Um, The ancients have long described uh, what Jesus is modeling here as a discipline of solitude and silence. So Dallas Willard is somebody who writes on these things, and Willard says, Solitude is the practice of abstaining from interaction with other human beings so we can be more sensitive to God. We close ourselves away. We go to the ocean, to the desert, the wilderness, to the anonymity of the urban crowd. And silence is similar. Silence, says Willard, is a natural part of solitude and is its essential complement. Most noise is human contact. Silence means to escape from sounds, noises, other than the gentle ones of nature. This is what Willard writes and what he recommends, and we see Jesus modeling for us here. The busy, demanding ministry, and then solitude, withdrawing with his heavenly Father. So presumably Jesus had stayed at the night, the night at Simon and Andrew's house. And I can only imagine that um, there were people clamoring to get to him. Can you imagine him trying to drift off? Maybe it was between 11 and 12 at night. We don't know. But can you imagine him hearing the voices outside? Maybe there were some cries and screams. But he hears people because there, there continues to be need. But he drifts off to sleep. And what does he make his priority the next day? I mean, surely you might think he would go back to doing the healings right away because gracious knows there were real needs in that town. But it says what he did was the next morning, while it was still dark, he goes off to a solitary place, and he meets with the Father. And so here's the thing. We're talking about um, arranging our lives. We're talking about ordering our lives. Willard puts the disciplines. So we're talking about spiritual training, uh, just as we have the treadmill and the elliptical and the weights, just as we walk in the garden or get in our steps in the neighborhood, we have all of these disciplines of the faith that help us with our spiritual training. So Willard puts the disciplines in two categories, disciplines of engagement and disciplines of abstinence. So disciplines of engagement are ones like Bible reading and fellowship and corporate worship and meditation and prayer. And disciplines of abstinence are ones like fasting and Sabbath keeping and simplicity and voluntary poverty and secrecy. So often the disciplines we find in Scripture are combined. And you see here that Jesus is abstaining from the crowds in solitude. Then he's engaging in prayer. Perhaps he engaged in Bible reading. Do you see how they're combined? When we fast, we don't just fast. We engage in prayer at mealtimes. The disciplines are combined. And what we know is Jesus is engaging with his Heavenly Father. Um, Willard writes, a proper abstinence breaks the hold of improper engagement so that the soul can be properly engaged with God. So there's this whole thing of listening to the Father and some of us, I wonder sometimes if we haven't understood sort of the remarkable access we have. We know that um, our sin actually creates estrangement and so, uh, uh, none is righteous, no, not one, the Apostle Paul says. Yeah. And then Jesus died on the cross, and he stood in our place, and he became our substitute. And so he took into his body the penalty that we deserved. And so what Romans 5.1 tells us is that we are now justified by faith. And Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the whole thing is we have this remarkable access, the very same access that, that the only begotten Son has with this heavenly Father, we now have with the Father through faith in the Son. And so this is the thing. Um, in solitude, we have this remarkable access And we have this remarkable opportunity to listen to the Father. And so that's what Jesus was doing. And so why was this important? If you go on in the story uh, or the account, it says, verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. So it's a little later. It starts being dark. Maybe the sun has broken over the horizon. Simon and the others have woken up. They come to look for Jesus and... They, when they look for him, it says in verse thirty-seven. And when they found him, they exclaimed, "Everyone is looking for you! Everyone is looking for you!" So now he's back into the frenetic pace. <laughs> um, he's just back into it. Um, and we know what that's like. Have you ever, have you ever heard that in your mind's eye? Everyone is looking for you. Uh, maybe a mother of young children, or. Uh, just any of us who approaches our days in the modern world. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Jesus, there are um, so many more people who need you. And this is what he says in verse 38. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And I think, again, we're sort of attending to the rhythms of Jesus' life, the ministry, the rest, the solitude, and now the clarity of his mission and his call. So Jesus comes out, he emerges out of his solitude, and he said, now I know, I have a renewed sense of call. The reason I have come is to preach the message of the kingdom and the message of forgiveness of sins. And so this is the thing, um, you know, we're, we're being invited into the way of Jesus. We're wondering how it is that we might follow in his way. And we're acknowledging um, that left to our own designs, our lives lose their shape. They lose their proper form. And so I think a great place to start is with this discipline of solitude and silence. The philosopher Pascal wrote, I've discovered that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact, that they are unable to stay quietly in their own room. Someone has said, without quiet, you'll never know the depths of your soul. So some of you may be thinking, uh, there's no way that I can find quiet space in my days. Maybe you just don't see that possibility. I think one place to start is just with little solitudes like early in the morning as you wake up and you have moments of solitude there with your head on the pillow or first thing in the morning with your cup of coffee or maybe you're waiting in traffic and you create that time as a time of solitude and availability to the presence of God. Or maybe when you round a corner and you see a flowering tree or just something beautiful You sort of stop in your spirit, and time stands still, and you've created solitude. Or maybe um, you create a quiet space in your world. Maybe it's in your house. Maybe it's a chair. Maybe it's a room uh, or a chair in a designated room of the house. And every time you sit in that chair, uh, you know about it, that it is a time of solitude. You're presenting yourself, just like Moses did on the mount. You're presenting yourself to God. So I, I know some of you maybe have tried um, solitude and silence in the past, and maybe you felt discouraged. And I, found, I find Henry Nouwen's comments encouraging or helpful because he says, um, he makes the point that as soon as we're alone without people or technology to distract us, an inner chaos opens up. And this chaos can be so disturbing and so confusing. That we can hardly wait to get busy again. (laughs) Our dear, our dear sisters. (laughs) But that's the thing. We've got so many people screaming at us, right? I mean, you can't even have a a service of worship without somebody trying to get to you. And sometimes I think we sit down in solitude and this chaos now and says opens up inside. And so it's disturbing and confusing, uh, and part of us can hardly wait to get busy again. Entering a private room and shutting the door um, doesn't immediately wall off the inner doubts and the anxieties and the fears and the bad memories and the unresolved conflicts and the angry feelings and the impulsive desires. These are, like, these are spiritual muscles, and we have to exercise these spiritual muscles. But Nouwen goes on to write this, one of the early Christian writers describes the first stage of solitary, solitary prayer as the experience of a man who, after years of living with open doors, suddenly decides to shut them. The visitors who used to come and enter his home start pounding on his doors, wondering why they're not allowed to enter. Only when they realize they are not welcome do they gradually stop coming. So do you understand? Sometimes maybe if we haven't develop these spiritual muscles we'll sit down and we'll sit down in solitude and we got all these thoughts and all these distractions banging on the door to our brains But the point is, you know, keep going, keep going all those uh, unwanted visitors um, over time will go away and the bottom line is this friends Um, we're talking about uh, not earning but we're talking about making efforts. And even when we make efforts, um, it's not our efforts that carry the day. See, we know with everything in the Christian life, all is grace, all is grace. And even if we try an experience of solitude and I want you to this week and you're struggling, we hang in there because all is grace. See, we know um, that the gospel is this, that Jesus didn't stay afar off, but he came. In John 3, it says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And when we go into these times of solitude, we, we trust that we don't have to pull at God to come meet with us. But in fact, he is coming, he is initiating a relationship with us in these moments. He's, it's his initiating love. In Psalm 46, it says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And he's speaking about the church. And we know that there was a dawn uh, one morning on Easter Sunday, and it was in the early morning that the stone had been rolled back. And we learned uh, that Jesus had risen from the grave. And when we meet with him in the early morning, uh, before the morning breaks, we know that he will come to us and he will initiate in love and pursue us in a way that we can't but begin to receive him in that space. So be encouraged. Um, Christ Prez, uh, we're doing this in unity. And so, um, really, the three churches, uh, these are things we need to experiment with. And so I'm really asking you, with the little solitudes or the place in your house, sometime this week, sometime later today, maybe you would try it um, once every day at some point, find yourself or pursue a place where you can enter into solitude. And we trust that the Lord in his love and mercy will find us there. To God be all the glory and praise. Um, Let's pray.